We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 288. A very busy episode today, Scott. We have a lot going on today. A ton of mailbags, ton of good mailbags. We've got some housekeeping items we're going to knock out in just a minute. But a special uh, segment that we've only been teasing for, what, 14, 15 months at this point? <laughs> I mean, we've done a couple of them. It's not like we haven't no, done we've them. we've done one of them. One of them, done one of them. You know, one. Talking about uh, movie documentary reviews. Uh, we are uh, recording with the Take Two podcast. Uh, Brian is uh, was actually at one of our events uh, last season, and he mentioned he had a movie and TV review podcast, and he w- said he'd like to do a crossover, so that's what we're doing today. We're doing a crossover episode with them. We're going to be reviewing two movies and documentaries. The first one, the one that's going to be on this episode, is the A-Rod 30 for 30. It's called The Deal. Uh, it's uh, It was a short 30 for 30. It didn't even reach the... I thought there was supposed to be 30 minutes at least. This I mean, one it only, is only because, reached 22 minutes. Yeah, but think about it. There's commercials, so... That's that, right. There's your 30 minutes. Real, real TV, right. Um, and I'm sure people have seen that, but if they haven't, you can uh, quickly. It's free on ESPN.com. So you can watch that before you listen to this uh, episode. But then the other one we're doing is something I didn't even know existed. It's called Joe Torre 
a curveballs along the way. Yeah. It was a Showtime, uh, the poor man's HBO Showtime uh, special back in 1997, talking <laughs> about the 1996 season. And my God, was this thing spectacular. <laughs> um, this was me searching. I just went on Amazon and searched Yankees. And this came up. I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? I haven't seen it. Like, oh, it's the guy from Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is this? And and that's that's how we found it. I had never seen it or heard of it before. And there's a reason. There is a, <laughs> reason, a reason why nobody has heard, heard of, of this this movie. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll break that one down uh, later. It's but more going to is... be amusing than anything else. That is free on Amazon Prime Video. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream that. Um, I enc- it's about an hour and like a half long. I encourage everybody to watch it over the next week. That'll be on next week's ep- episode. I encourage you all to watch it. Um, For nothing else but a, if a, a laugh because there's it is, oh, some horrendous casting, <laughs> some un- very unnecessary scenes. Um, there's, there's just uh, some a bunch great, of things some, are ridiculous. Some just spectacular baseball scenes. So watch <laughs> it. You'll get a good chuckle out of it. So that's all coming up. Uh, very busy, uh, like I said, couple of episodes here. But some housekeeping items, Scott. Yeah, so we're in full plan mode in the, on the back end of, uh, of, the, of Bronx Pinstripes and the Bronx Pinstripes crew and all the things that we're doing uh, going into 2019 season spring training. People have been asking about it in the Facebook group as well. Um, we, are, we should have everything locked up this week. We're, I'm talking with the, uh, the guys down in Tampa. Uh, about tickets and group tickets and, and trying to get a, a good rate to a good game um, up in the they call it the bullpen suite or the bullpen lounge or something like that and it's basically the um, it's a it's just they're good seats and usually it's uh, a, like a full buffet and uh, the tickets are included and beers included so it's a really good deal that we can yeah, get. if you were there last year that was where we were on the Saturday game yeah f- yeah right. it was uh, Friday or Saturday I don't remember it was one of the two games but yeah it was. One of the two games we were up top and we had, uh, I think, like 30 or 30, 35 people at that one. And we, we pulled that one together, like literally like three or four weeks before it. Yeah, so the, yeah, um, it was very last minute. Yeah, this one will be a lot of fun, uh, but keep an eye out for that. So if you're looking to plan a spring training trip, just keep an ear out and we'll let you know um, on social media. I'm sure this week at some point or definitely next uh, next week on the show when that is. So you can uh, hopefully plan your trip around that because it'd be a lot of fun to get a good amount of people out. And, uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll plan some events around, uh, in Tampa as well. Maybe, uh, hit a brewery. We did that last year. Um, so just some fun stuff. And then also the, uh, BP crew event, uh, calendar for next year is going to be out probably this week as well. And we'll have all the tickets on sale. So if you're looking for, uh, some Christmas presents, or if you want to get anybody tickets to, uh, these games, this is a great opportunity for that. Again, the, uh, the single, t- the single, uh, tickets are not even on sale for the Yankees. So you'll be able to get these before that. And they will be in section 205. Uh, really good deal this year. Also, all the tickets actually will be including a beer and a hot dog in the stadium, which is new this year, which is uh, a, another good incentive to add some value. It's $117 value. Yeah, it's, <laughs> for real. It's, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's another good thing that we're, we're able to add together um, just because we can get, uh, you know, a good great and a, and a good, uh, you know, area where we're going to be sitting 205 plus this, uh, this good deal with some additional stuff. So, um, and then again, it's going to include, you know, a t-shirt for every event. We're going to, we're going to throw in some, some different things too, um, that we'll have at the event. So, uh, I'm looking forward to this, uh, but keep an eye out for both of those things. Oh, Can't last, oh, one, one more thing. Sorry. Um, if you are interested again, we had a call for this a couple weeks ago and, um, we have a, a list of, of different cities, but if you're in a different city across the, not New York, uh, in, uh, in the U S or in another city outside the U S shoot an email to info at Bronx um, and put somewhere BP crew in the, in the, uh, the title of the, uh, or the subject of the email. And let us know if you're looking to either be a captain or get involved for your city. 
we're going to be sending out some emails about that really soon too, because we're trying to plan some away games that we can all get to. So, but we need some help. Uh, we obviously want to get everybody involved. This is a community aspect. Um, and we want you guys to get involved if you're in the city, cause we're not there. So, um, that's, uh, that's what we're looking for. If you're in a different city and you want to get involved, hit us up info at bronxpinstripes.com. So we're going to get into a few mailbags. Uh, we're just going to kick it off with mailbags. But the winter meetings are starting in Las Vegas on Sunday night as we're recording this. You know what that means, right, Scott? Uh, rumors, horrible, horrible sources. Um, lots of right. lots of high school Twitter kids that are going out saying, "I, I, I damn well know this hap- this is happening," and that it never happens. Lots and of a lot lots of, of uh, a lot of tweets from baseball writers confirming other baseball writers' mm-hmm. tweets about certain reports that aren't true. Correct. That is and, uh, lots, lots of also that. in classic our podcast fashion. We're recording it. Uh, it's going to be released on a Monday, which means Monday afternoon there'll be something that happens. Oh yeah, but if there's something major happening during uh, winter meetings, I'm sure you and I can work it out and get back on and uh, and talk about it. And uh, the the thing that happened last week was uh, a day or two after we released uh, the episode, Corbin signed in Philly, and that's what the excuse me, not in Philly, in Washington. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, it matter. Was, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, Philly was the other team, the other dark horse team that, uh, was going to steal him from the Yankees, but it ended up being, uh, that he went to Washington for a massive contract. And that's what the first mailbag's about. So I'll read it from William Rivera. I think Cashman is the most overrated GM. I love it. He's just bringing the heat right away. <laughs> How can you lose your number one target this off season over money? Yes, it was a lot of money in years, but having to possibly offer three years to Hap is the oxymoron of the whole situation. Corbin will be 35-36 at the end of his contract, and Hap is already that old. I don't get it. If any team can eat money, it's the Yankees. Either Cash is a moron or Hal is just uh, tying his hands big time. Right now, the signing of Manny is necessary. We cannot come into this season with less and expect more. I also also don't agree with that last uh, statement. Because they already acquired Paxton... Right. That's not less, but still, I, I get why uh, he's a little upset. So there's a lot of things to unpack here, I think. And, and Corbin's obviously going to be one of the big topics for, for today's show just because we didn't land him. And I think everybody was expecting to have that guy sign on the dotted line. I mean, we, we heard about everything. You know, his, his brother wearing the Yankees hat and all this. I don't know if you saw uh, my, con- over the top, my conspiracy theory was week. that the brother is now, you know, pocketing a few million because he put the Yankee hat on knowing that it would leak out. I mean, this is some like very, very... Unbelievable planning by the Corbin family to get the Yankees involved with this uh, with this negotiation. Hats off! Oh, you didn't hats off. But to you them. didn't hear the news. You didn't hear the news that Corbin was actually an Expos fan growing up. That's why he signed with right. the Nationals. So that's since they were used to be the Expos. Yeah, no, this is all brilliant. It's, it's all it's all you know, getting everybody involved and and hiding that aspect. That's 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 great. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think people are expecting. We're expecting this Corbin deal. The thing about it is that nobody was expecting Paxton to happen, right? So I think when we were talking about the offseason and general consensus, I'd say, over you know Twitter and Facebook and just social media, seeing what people are saying, they wanted they wanted uh, Corbin and and Hap. Like I'd say the majority were, were looking at those two guys to and that's to what re-sign. we had too yeah. on our plans. And essentially, if they are to go out there and sign Jay Hap or a guy like Jay Hap now with Paxton. That's essentially what's happening right now. They, they've gotten their left-handed guy uh, with, with Paxton. And honestly, Paxton over Corbin, probably a better situation anyway. Um, but you just don't know with Corbin. I think the biggest difference between Happ and, and what, what uh, William is mad about is that the end of the contract for Corbin, he would be the same age as what Happ is. Here's the big difference. We have no idea what Corbin will be at that age. 
We do right. know what Hap is right now. Hap is an right. effective pitcher. He is pitching well at this age, and I think that's the biggest difference. So if they're if they're going to offer, you know, two three years will will be probably over the top, but I wouldn't be surprised if well, they were to do it at this point. I can't see them doing that, especially since they were so careful with Corbin not to extend to the sixth year. They clearly had five years in mind. And Jack Curry tweeted that uh, the offer that the Yankees were planning on giving him was four to five years in the 17 to $20 million range. Right. And the dude ends up signing for six years and a hundred, what was a hundred forty million dollars. Yeah. That is a big difference. Yeah. So and- maybe when Cashman and the analytics department heard, Oh, he's going to get six years and 140 million. That's, that's, Wait, that's forty percent more than we were willing to offer. No thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not mad at them for not overextending for that amount of money. In my offseason plans, I had my comp was was uh, was to you use you Darvish's contract, just because that was the last one that had signed with any amount of uh, with of prestige, if you will, but any kind of uh, popularity in the in the in the market. Like that was probably the guy that you can use. Corbin is not Darvish at prime. They're not the same guy, but at the same time. When you're looking at what the free agent market was this year, Corbin was the guy. So I don't know. That's where I got that. But he even still got more than than Darvish got. So you're looking at the amount of money that he got. And and what what this leads me to is another point from Williams. He said, why why is Cashman uh, overrated? And the reason he said is because they lost their number one target. Well, guess what? Maybe he wasn't their number one target. If they're not going to pay that much more uh, money for him, he very well may not have been their number one target. It would have been a good target one of their targets maybe number one target within within range of uh you know x amount of salary but i am not mad that they didn't go and overextend because this is how we have bad teams this is how we've had the last 10 years you know before the new wave has come in uh, of old players playing at the ends of their contract and we were all miserable so why do we want to relive that Thank you. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yankees fans want it both ways. They say, well, they can just eat the money. And they they did it with a lot of players. But we're seeing now with Ellsbury, it's, it's, and I know he's not on the team because there's faking injuries, but <laughs> there's a certain point that Hal Steimer's not just going to keep eating $20 million a year players. Yeah. It, it's not feasible. So I understand that business aspect of it. But you mentioned, uh, I do think Corbin was their number one pitching target on the free agent market. But they went out and got Paxton. So I listened to Buster Only on uh, Michael Kay's show. He did an interview a couple days ago. And he said the Yankees were, were really trying to get the Paxton deal done before they spoke with Corbin and other free agents because they were worried about the market getting out of control for those guys. And they wanted somebody in their back pocket. That doesn't mean they're not going to go out and sign somebody else, Hap or, or whoever. But they didn't have to get desperate for Corbin because they acquired Paxton. And, and that's, that's brilliant. That is right there. That is one of those underappreciated moves by a general manager that no one is going to give him credit for. But the timing of the Paxton deal did play a significant amount. They didn't have to go out and overextend themselves for a guy like Corbin when they have a controlled Paxton now for two years. It's a good move. The other thing about Hap is that even if they were to go for that third year, let's just say they do and they're overpay for a guy like Jay Happ in that third year. Okay, now you can pretty much bank on you're going to get Happ for two years, right? Like that's what you're looking at. We see what he's doing with age. He's been pitching well. You're, you're, you're going to say that two years we could probably get him. Maybe the second year there'll be a little bit of a tail off, but 
we're confident that this guy could pitch, uh, you know, in, into his late thirties. If he doesn't on that third year, then you're really only, you know, down one year to with less money at the same time. Then Corbin, which is a big, big risk at this point when you're looking at five years, and who knows what happens? And you know, you could be you could be sitting in the back end of that contract with two to three years left on it and and scratching your head. So I think it's a lot um, less of a risk when you're looking at at J Hap. Yeah, and I don't even necessarily want them to go three years on Hap because I think that's an overpayment as well. But you're right; it's an overpayment. It's a less. It's a, an overpayment they can deal with more right. than than what the six and one forty was for Corbin. And uh, for for Hap, maybe maybe they're looking at a two years plus an option vesting option sure. situation where if he pitches a certain number of innings over the second year, then they're comfortable. Whatever they'll bring him back for the same. Uh, it'll vest and they'll bring them back anyway. Uh, y- you could get something like that. What I really don't want to happen is because they didn't uh, be they didn't want to extend themselves for Corbin. They go to their second option and then way overpay for him. Maybe like Dallas Keuchel. I don't want them going near Dallas Keuchel. I don't want five years of Dallas Keuchel because I think he has seen his best days. Right. No, I, I agree with that, and I think that's that's probably one of those areas because I, th- I think at this point Keuchel's probably the 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 most attractive uh, to. To the majority of well, he's teams. the second best. He's the next best yeah. starting pitcher on the market. Um, but I, I don't even know if I agree with that. Well, for, because, for the duration because, and for age, and, and you add all these things considered, I'd say he's the, mo- he's the most attractive. But but we we have even been saying like if we're just talking about the 2019 season, you could get a very similar season out of Keuchel, out of Corbin, and out of J Hap. Right. No, I agree with that. But again, you're when you're uh, the Phillies and you're looking at signing one of these guys you're not just looking at next year you're you're looking no. down the line you're looking at well okay in three years can can Dallas Keuchel you know moving to the National League be effective for you know three to four years whereas Jay Happ is you know two and then you know we're pushing it with three so yeah he's, a, he's the, attractive uh, in that sense I think the the big difference that a lot of people and I get it have been saying with Corbin Corbin was just money Whereas Paxton ended up costing you just a Sheffield. Right. Fine. You know what? Again, dude, I, I like I am. So, I was I was already in my brain thinking Sheffield was out the door just because of the way that they kind of showed how they were treating him, you know, keeping him in the minor leagues as long as they were. Uh, the, the issue is him not controlling himself. I, I thought there was a bit of an immaturity uh, with with the kid. I just I didn't think he was ready for New York. I didn't think they liked him as much as a lot of people put on there. So I chalked that up as whatever because I didn't think he was going to make an impact in New York in the first place. So that's just my personal opinion. That's where I had. I, I already dismissed him to a, to an extent. Um, but when you're looking at, at Paxton, you know, it's just I don't know. He, I think at the top of their game, that Paxton's a better pitcher. And, and I think they made the right move. But I don't... <clears throat> So uh, again, uh, Paxton, yes, peak Paxton, which we saw 2016 to 2017, was better than peak Corbin, which was the 2018 Corbin. The biggest difference is health. Corbin has been a little bit more durable than Paxton has, but Paxton's been pitching in the American League. Corbin was pitching in the National League. The, all of those factors, I think all of the factors, you boil it all together, and I think they're very, very similar pitchers. And that's what the Yankees were looking at, and they were saying, we, would we like both of them? Yes. Right. Do we need both of them? Probably not. And we're not going to overextend ourselves just to get both of them. Right. There's other options. There's other trade options out there, like with the Indians, which we have a mailbag coming up about Kluber and Bauer. But first, I want to talk about you're, Mr. Bionic Arm. Yeah. You're the, I, are you still the... I mean, I know you took a hiatus on the president of the fan club, Nathan Avaldi, right. but overpayment. Even worse than Corbin is four years, sixty-seven and a half million for somebody who had a good six weeks. 
I, you know, I think what they're looking at obviously is uh, what they could do, and, and I think this is probably one of the one of the last moves that they could they could make as far as signing someone um, to to keep that core together, if you will. Like they're, they're just not. I don't think they're able to to pay a ton of money to someone huge. So they're looking at Evaldi. They, right, and they, they over- did it, and they brought back him and Steve Pierce, which is like that. You 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 talk about that core. Yeah, those guys were the. The Pierce wins the uh, the um not the sign he won the World Series MVP. Ovaldi has that legendary like extra inning performance, and these are guys that weren't on their opening day roster. And I feel like they're overpaying just to bring those guys back just because they don't want to give up the the good times that they had together. I don't know if it's so much that, but it's a it's like I I see the fit for I mean I see the fit as far as the the team goes with with Ovaldi. They they already have. Uh, the, their top flight pitcher signed, so they're trying to get they're trying to catch lightning a bottle with Evaldi, and they obviously believe that he's a new guy <laughs> now with four this cutter years of lightning. That's a lot. The the thing is with him, you know, the history is not on his side, on the side of guys who have two surgeries. And when you have two two Tommy John surgeries, unless they're they know something else, and they're talking to um, who's the team doctor who. Uh, uh, he, he's the team doctor for. I think he's the team doctor for the Redskins. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, but um, James Andrews is the Who? team doctor for the Redskins. Is that oh. right? Anyway, he's the team well, doctor yeah, for I mean, somebody. He didn't do the, the Yankees doctor did the most recent Evaldi surgery. Actually, all right. So, uh, Doctor Ahmad is that his name? Ahmad. Yeah. That that really kind of throws a, a whole wrench into my um, <clears throat> in my little balco with Doctor James Andrews. I don't I don't like that. The uh, anyway, they they obviously think he's better and and they think this arm is going to hold up. Okay, that's that's what they think. That's that's clear because they gave him four years at seventeen plus million per year. That's a lot of money for Nathan Avaldi. Good for him. He has that's a that's a huge resurgence. My God, is that a resurgence? Um, <laughs> I mean, he was just he started the season making like two million bucks on the race. Yeah, and and that was I mean they they seemingly gave him a good amount of money while he was on the shelf. I mean, we just saw the Padres did that uh, also now with, uh, with with the pitcher from from uh, from Anaheim. This is this is a, a good signing for Nathan Avaldi. I don't know how it's going to play out. <laughs> yeah, and obviously. the the bad thing about it is is that he's been so good against the Yankees, and it's I just I just thing. see that continuing. And because right. it's because because why not? Because of course, because that's yeah. going to happen, and and that's going to really make me mad. So am I the he, am I on the fan club anymore? No, I'm off the train. It's done. He's dead to me. I I liked him. I thought he was good. And and now he's got a bionic arm with with some you know some steroid fibers in it and whatever else they put in that arm uh, he's cheating, that's it. I mean I think it's fifty fifty. He pitches healthy through those four years. Oh, I think it's less than fifty fifty. Yeah, I think okay. I think so it's way less than fifty fifty. It's a bad bet for the Red Sox. It's it's honestly he's he is one overthrow away from career. You don't overthrow the dude's throwing 101 mile an hour cutters. I'm, How is that not an overthrow? Overthrowing for him, whatever that is. I'm I'm talking about overextending himself on 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 one pitch, and he starts feeling forearm tightness. Like you're done. He's probably we're looking at a career at that point. Like any kind of arm injury at this point, can you go under the knife for the third time? I don't know. Has anybody even done that? I have no idea. Uh, but that's a lot. So he's very much repaired, but very damaged goods in the back end. So if if those surgeries can hold up. That's a lot. It's a lot to uh, a lot of money to ride on on uh, on an arm like that. Well, he might not. He might choose not to the next time since he's making sixty seven million bucks regardless. Yeah. Maybe they put a clause in the contract that I haven't heard about where if he has another Tommy John surgery, it's voided or fifty percent of it no is way. voided. Or he something. would never sign that deal. 
<laughs> I mean, well, I mean that's still it's still still thirty plus million dollars that he would be getting. I guess. Look, he if, at that point, and he doesn't want to go under the knife again. He just needs enough strength to to raise a pina colada, and and go chill in Miami back where uh, you know back where it all started, or I guess it started in what the Dodgers. It is some evil, evil, just sorcery, poetic justice. I don't know what to call it. The way this all turned out with Evaldi. Where he was the Yan- he was like your binky with the stuff guy. He could never put it together. Five innings of Valdi. Then he he has the Tommy John surgery. We he goes signs in Tampa. No one gives a shit because it's like ah whatever. It's Tampa. Let let them try and fix Valdi. And he comes back and bites him in the ass in the playoffs. Dominates the Yankees. A playoff legend for the freaking Boston Red Sox. It's just. Oh, there's another. It's a lot. There's another guy waiting in the wings, you know, alongside with the. Uh, I don't know. I know you saw it, but I don't know if anybody else saw the ML. I think it was MLB who tweeted the the new core four in Minnesota. <laughs> the Minnesota. So so we're we're having to deal with this new core four. I don't know if Torres was in there. I didn't even see who the players were. I assume Jonathan Scope was part of that. Um, maybe Ronald Torres is like the Bernie Williams. That had to have been a joke, right? <laughs> like the person writing that headline was like, "Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be fun." Is Bernie Williams or is uh, Torres going to be the Bernie Williams of their core four? Is that is that how it's going to play out? I don't know. But but Michael Pineda is coming back right next year and, and, and seemingly healthy after. Oh, we're we finally going to see him back. Yeah. So so we might have two guys coming up against us that were uh, stuff guys that 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 used to drive me insane um, because they have everything they could possibly use after another time. Was it Tommy John that that Pineda got? I think he did, right? Um, so, yeah, that's two more stuff guys, ex ex Yankees stuff guys coming back to uh, to uh, oppose you know oppose us next year. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. And we know how Minnesota loves the Yankee, the ex Yankees, yep. Phil Hughes, John Ryan Murphy, yep. Michael Pineda. Um, the list goes on. Torres. Carl, remember Carl Pavano had a little resurgence with the with the Twins. No, I, I that one's out of my memory bank. I'm actually mad that you brought it back up. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, next question is from Taylor Smith at TCS1630 on Twitter. In your opinion, should the Yankees target one of the Indians' aces via trade, Kluber or Bauer? Cleveland seems to be motivated to move one or both of them. What would a trade look like for either one? Is one more valuable than the other? Uh, would you guys want this to come to fruition? And it, oh, for a while, it was Kluber or Carrasco, and they ended up extending Carrasco. Yeah. And now Bauer, who's only 27... In his second year of arbitration, they, they're willing to hear offers on him. I would actually think he would cost more. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because of that. Wise, right? Yeah, because of the control. It's it's interesting to see how. Uh, and Bowers had some you know some good years lately. He's been good in the. Uh, he's had some good postseason starts. So it'll be interesting to to see how he is. And honestly, I don't know if you see the stuff that he's putting on Twitter. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, he's a he, lunatic. He's crazy, but he's really he, he's getting on my good side. I, oh, I, no. I kind of like the fact that he's a nutball. He's he's flipping people off with drone pictures on Twitter. This shit's getting funny. Like This is the guy who couldn't finish a postseason start because his finger was bleeding yes. profusely because he, he fucked it up on a drone. Yeah, right, and, this guy. And, and this is a guy so, that, you, that you are now on. Because on, he's, he's getting funny. Yes, because he's funny. Because the, Until he slices his finger again and can't pitch against the Red Sox because he, he's got half of his pinky missing. So the last tweet that he sent out, well, you know, we all remember the uh, when he was basically trolling the Houston and Astros about the spin rate, like basically calling them out for for cheating uh, with spin rate uh, numbers and and implying steroids, essentially. And then recently he's like, oh, uh, I'm messing around with drones again. And someone tweeted him and he just tweeted a picture of him holding a drone, flipping him off with a middle finger. It was funny. (laughs) The shit was funny. He's trolling people on a very high level. And I and I appreciate it. 
That's all I'm saying. He wasn't implying steroids. He was impl- apply- implying uh, like a substance. A substance? Well, I, I think there's some steroid. Like a sticky substance. I think, he, there's, some, I think there's some steroid implications in Houston mm. going on with what he's saying. I think he's also saying okay. something about the spin rate. Oh, it's a, it's a miracle that all of these guys have more spin right. rate now. Yeah. 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 It's crazy how they can all... All, all of it's a sudden, that humid this. air. It's that humid air down in Houston. Yeah. So I, I think we had multiple implications with uh, with what he was saying. At least well, I like Roger to, I like to read into this. Roger Clemens went down there and at like age forty nine was pitching like a Cy Young. Yeah. Well, we all know the the, the reason for that. Uh, and Kluber thirty two. He's got two more years of team control. Their team options at about eighteen million each. But but again, because of the age, because of the contract situation. I could actually see see them getting more of a prospect haul for Bauer than Kluber. Yeah, I think it would be close. I mean, obviously Kluber has the um, the the pedigree and, and the guy that that everybody wants just because he's uh, he's he's had a better career. Um, Bauer is younger, so it would be close. I think they would be pretty close because Kluber is still controlled for for two more years. That's that's a big deal. You're getting two more years of a of a known ace. Um, you're well, not. You're, you're not getting, getting two years, control. and you're actually not. It's actually the best case scenario because if for whatever reason he blows out his arm, you could buy him out of his contract. It's a team option, not, right? It's a team option. Yeah. It's, I think it's two million dollar buyout. So if he sucks, or for whatever reason you don't want him in that second year, you could buy him out. Right, but you're also giving him up. Uh, you're giving up a, a prospect. You're giving up prospects, and yeah. you're going to have to give up Florial plus uh, plus. It's plus. going to be a big package. Yeah. Plus plus. It's yeah. going to be four of the top 10 Yankees prospects going to Cleveland. But I, having said that, I would still do it for either one of these pitchers. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's, this is where, you know, we're going to start focusing. We're going to start hearing a lot of things about this. I have a feeling a lot of rumors are going to start coming out around, uh, around these Cleveland pitchers and you got to believe the Yankees are involved. They've made deals with them in the past. So, I mean, with the Yankees, that's, that's, that is a telling sign. They, they do like to make deals with people that they've uh, dealt with in the past. I mean, it's, you know, Seattle is definitely a place they've done deals. The the Padres, uh, the Pirates. You look Anaheim. You look for guys that Cashman has has had prior dealings with, and I, I think at that point you have to put them a little higher on the list because there is a comfort level there as far as negotiations. Plus, I'm telling you, the Chernoff connection. He's Chernoff is getting noogies right now, uh, being held down, saying, "Look, your dad's your dad's uh, your dad's radio station is going to go down in flames unless you make this deal." So lots of that happening. MLB.com posted a story with hypothetical trade scenarios, and they had Clint Frazier going back to Cleveland, and I really just don't see that I don't happening. see it happening either. I really don't see that happening. They would have to. They got rid of him for a reason. I feel like when, people, when teams give up on a prospect, there's also a, a part of that team that's saying, okay, you know, we're giving up on this guy. It's well, they're, lot, mental, they're mentally moving on from him. Right, but it's also a lot to give up, but at the same time, we feel right about this because maybe he wasn't, we thought less of that guy. Um, sending him off. I feel like right. there's always a little bit of that. Right. Some scout in their minor league system said something negative about him, yeah. which pushed him over the edge. So, right. yeah. And I think it's just bad. It's, it's, it looks optics, bad. Yeah. It's, it's bad optics when you're bringing back a prospect or bringing back a player, which is another reason why the Yankees, I don't think, were ever in on Nathan Avaldi. Right. Well, that's, I, I agree with that. I think it's egg on face if you're coming in paying, especially yeah. that much for, for a guy like Nathan Avaldi. There's no doubt. That's yeah. that would be a that would be a really hard contract to swallow if they were trying to, if there was a bidding war between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Here's our here's our nice little uh, A Rod plug for the next one. Another bidding war. The the deal to Nathan Avaldi. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, I, I for some reason I don't even think that gets 22 minutes on ESPN. <laughs> you know, maybe it's another ESPN short for next year. Who knows? Um. All right. The next two questions. And A Rod, hold on. A Rod did call him the swing piece between the Yankees and the Red Sox. By the way. 
So further connections. He now. called Evaldi the swing he piece? He called Evaldi the swing piece between the Yankees and when? the Red Sox. This week. I you had, mean last year? Yeah, go on the... Uh, no, j- just recently. Go on the uh, the uh, our, our Yankees uh, Facebook group, our, our podcast Facebook group, if I could freaking talk. I put the video up on in there. Go look at it. It's Ugh. A-Rod saying he's the swing piece. In what context? Defi- making one, one team better than the other. If the Yan- no, 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 no. If but the Yankees, like, where, where, was, where was this? Was he just like... He wh- was talking where, on the Michael K... Or one of the shows. I forget what show it was. But okay. He was talking on a show and, and said this, uh, that, that he's the swing piece. If the Yankees could get... If they could open up the, the death grip of the Boston Red Sox on Nathan Avaldi and steal him from underneath them, they are now the favorites. He knows. Does Arod know that if the Yankees had signed Evaldi, he still beat them in the playoffs last year? Like that doesn't change. No, but what I do think is that Arod does know that there is something not uh, not natural in Evaldi's arm. I think all these steroid guys have a group well, yeah. text and they talk to each other, and then so everybody knows where they are. Well, they all they all Evaldi, talk. Evaldi's right arm is now sixty four percent robot. That's what I'm saying. Arod knows that. A-Rod knows that. It's, it's, uh, I tell you, there's like a cheating group text. They all know this. It's, a, it's, another, it's a fraternity within the fraternity. It's a secret society inside the fraternity. A-Rod says some dumb things sometimes. A-Rod says dumb things a lot of times. Most times in Well, fact, that was one of the dumb things. Most times in fact. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the swing piece. I don't think Nathan Avaldi is going to be the difference between the Red Sox and the Yankees next year. I mean, I, I agree with you. <laughs> and if he is, so help me God... I will not be able to handle that. I will have a full-on meltdown. Right. All right, moving on. No more Evaldi talk. Colleen Healy, who is one of our moderators, actually, in the Facebook group, and Gavin Mulcahy both posted uh, questions about the the report that Manfred aims to limit defensive shifts, and they want to know our thoughts on this. Um, and if we could write up the rule book, how would it look? So basically... Um, Jason Stark reported that the uh, MLB's uh, commissioner's office will approach the players union at some point this winter to talk about limiting defensive shifts because they were up 30% last year. I don't know how they went up another 30%. Doesn't it seem like every year for the last five years, they've gone up another 30%. Yeah. It's like Um, another team adapts it even more. It's but it does last year seemed like it was over the top. Oh, it was almost every play, every batter. You're, you're having some sort of shift somewhere. Um, and on-base percentage and batting average were at lows in, like, decades. Yeah. Um, because of the, sh- the shifts being the big reason, but I also think just philosophy of players, launch angle, more strikeouts, more walks, more home runs, that that basically adds up to uh, more homers, less getting on base, less singles, et cetera. Right. Uh, but what do you think? Do you, do you like – would you like this if they put in some sort of rule where um, – I don't know, you have, you have a limit on your shifts or rules on where you can line up. Yeah, I mean, look, all these rules are getting implemented. We're, we're not going to be able to stop them. As much as, as, as many of, uh, of the people that I've conversed with about you know, MLB adding these rules and tinkering with the game that don't like it, it's happening. Like They're doing all these things. The uh, you know, potential pitch clock, the, the, the batter's box uh, thing, keeping one foot in. Remember, we remember A-Rods last year where he would like, dance in and out of the box when he forgets to, to, um, to keep it both feet in because of his routine that he's done forever. Uh, but this is a, just another one of those things, and and in fact, like I'm not I'm not against this. Like I, the shift to me is just it's it does hurt offense. Um, it's it makes the game more boring. It's uh it's it's not a good, 
it's not a good way that they're they're tr- they're trying to promote the game and they're trying to promote offense. Offense, chicks dig the long ball. Offense sells. That's what they want. And by having these defensive shifts, it takes away a lot of offense. It just the numbers prove it. It does. And I, I would be fine with them doing this because to me, it doesn't really hurt the game. It kind of brings it back to what it was before the shifts, before Joe Madden interfered with everything we were doing. And uh, I'd be okay with it. Mark Teixeira might make a comeback. Well, no. Haven't you heard this? Shifts were happening back on Ted Williams. Yes, right. There were there there have been shifts since the beginning of time. Joe and Madden he was still able to get on base forty percent of the time. Yeah, I mean he was an unbelievable all time hitter. But yeah, even though home runs are up, that doesn't mean overall offense is up because there's a lot of solo home runs happening. Right. And if you if you change these shifts and you can't shift as much or you you can't shift as drastically, there's going to be more hits, and that's that is more exciting. That 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 breeds more offense. When there's more off- offense in the game, more players get paid. And that the players' union, I could see being open to that. And I think there's some sort of bargaining going on here where baseball wants games to be shorter. And pitch clock is one of the things they've been experimenting with in the minors, and I think they want to bring the pitch clock to the majors. I don't think right off the bat that pitchers would agree to that, but if they got something else in return, if the players' union got this in return, shifts, they might agree to bring a, pl- a pitch clock in. I think it's all part of the big puzzle. The thing about the shifting, uh, it's it's kind of supporting one of the problems in baseball today. And, I mean, maybe it's not a problem, depending on your outlook on, on how the game is played today. But the the reality is the shifts work because guys can't hit as well. They can't they can't go bat to ball and go the other way and, and hit a ball the opposite way down the line because there's no third baseman standing there uh, with, you know, with a, a left-handed bat. The... And that's a problem because they're all, all these guys are looking to pull the ball. They're looking at launch angle. They're looking at all these things. There's a lot less contact guys. And so if you go back to the basics of baseball and the fundamentals and actually have um, hitters hit better and, and, you know, try to spray the ball around, then the shift never would have become a thing. The reason the shift became a thing is because of the, the way that, you know, people, uh, guys are getting taught, the way that the systems are now teaching um, and promoting launch angle and, and pulling the ball. That's why it works. If, if they were to go back and the hitters were to start hitting the ball all over the place, which I do believe they could, if they were to actually implement that within the, um, you know, the lower levels and start practicing that more, then shifts would be obsolete anyway. So it's kind of catering to, to the launch angle um, issue anyway. I don't well, know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, a chicken catch- or the egg yeah, scenario. Exactly. Exactly. But it does go down to the, to the, the major shift in the way that t- uh, the, ba- the, the batting approach is in major leagues and down the line. Well, it was, it was always the argument when you shifted on a guy like Mark Teixeira or David Ortiz, and when you're the opposing team, you would say, I would rather them try and bunt it down the third baseline and just get a single yep. because we want to take away what they're trying to do, which is crush the ball to right field. Right. But that's changing their approach. So if they just want to bunt it versus trying to pull the ball and drive the ball, you're playing in, you're trying to take away their strength. Um, but now they're doing it not just to those power hitters. They're doing it to everybody. <laughs> like you, you, uh, your nine number nine hitter gets shifted on now. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, it's 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 definitely become uh, a very uh, common part of the game. And, and you're also getting people out of position too now, uh, playing different positions. And you know, you got to wait for your third baseman to run over to second base. And like, while that's not a lot of time, but the amount of shifting that's happening, like you know, that that takes another extra couple minutes uh, off of a game, or you know, adds it to a game probably. So there's a lot of things to consider, and, but it's it's more about the way that today's game is played. 
And the analytics are much more precise where they know 41.6% right. of the time the guy hits it here. Right. So we're going to play everybody there. Yep. Where is 10 years ago it was not precise at all. He could be a quote pull hitter. Right. But really, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on. Matt Krantz says, if you listen to CC talk about Boston on R2C2 an episode or two ago, he was asked if Boston winning lights a fire under the ass of the players, and he acted like it was no big deal. Either he believes they are already fired up and doesn't need any more motivation, or he truly does not care what other teams, uh, what, other, what any other team does, which I'd say is bullshit. I'd like to hear your thoughts. So uh, Matt's a, one of our mods in the Facebook group as well, and he's been to a bunch of uh, games with us uh, for the events. The, the, thing, the thing about CC is that I think CC is is just plays things cool. Like, I don't think he likes to, mm-hmm. to feed into, um, you know, the Boston Red Sox hearing that, oh, CC has a problem with it. it. It fires them up. He's not really into that type of thing. I, f- I feel like CC's more of a guy that wants to show it rather than talk about it. And uh, so it's, I don't think he's not motivated by any means. I, I think he, he definitely, you know, feels motivated and has that. I just don't think he vocalizes that, uh, you know, bef- you know in, the, in the off season in a, in a setting like that. I just... I think that's his right. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to have the soundbite out there where he's pissed that the Red Sox won, and then someone in the Red Sox clubhouse can be like, "Hey, look, CC's talking about us winning the World Series." Like he would rather not have that happen. I just don't know. I don't. I don't even think it's that far. I just don't think he cares enough to to talk about it. Like he's just a cool guy, not going to talk about it, and I'm just going to be you know try to beat their ass. That's that's. Was he trying motivation. not? Is he trying to act cool? No. Or is he just no, cool, C- dude? CC does not try to act cool. CC's a freaking OG. He is cool. There's, well, because you if you, cool. if you've heard any of Brian Cashman's interviews over the last couple of months or last month after the Red Sox won the World Series, he has mentioned it that it is worse when the Red Sox win the World Series. Yeah, and maybe that's just because he knows that fans are going to be more pissed off. Yeah, I don't know, or if he if it actually does piss him off more for whatever reason though, he acknowledged it being it's worse when the Red Sox win the World Series. Um, that's the worst case scenario for the Yankees. Right. I mean, that's a f- fairly obvious, you know, glaring uh, comment because if anybody were to win it, it's but not the Red Sox. he could have played it cool. He could have just been like, no, we're trying to win the World Series any year. If He's we also, don't win, we don't care who uh, doesn't win as long as it, if it's not us, it's bad regardless. He could have said something like that. Yeah, but he's also being honest where he knows that the, the fan base. The, exactly. The fan base is, this is the worst case scenario. And I think that's more of a general broad, broad stroke statement in the sense that it's bad for us. It's bad for our fans. It's bad for the people that own our team. It's bad for everybody because when that, that team, when your absolute rival wins, then it's just not good. It's not. A, it's the worst possible thing. But yeah, coming in there saying, uh, does it fire you up more? You know, I can't see him saying, yeah, it fires us up more. We're going to try harder now. Uh, that it just doesn't sound like that would come out of CC's mouth. So you're saying like CC probably sleeps easy at night, regardless. Dude, that that dude sleeps like a log. You know why? Probably because he's a sleep number bed. <laughs> he's probably got the new sleep number 360 smart bed. Uh, so many couples disagree on mattress firmness. Sleep number beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just right for the both of you. The new beds are so smart, they sense your every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Uh, holidays are coming up, right? Christmas is right around the corner. Maybe you need uh, a Hanukkah gift for the eighth night of Hanukkah. <laughs> just quickly order a smart number bed. No, these are things. Sleep number bed. These are absolutely, these are things that have to happen. And getting through the holiday season, you have a lot of people visiting. You're either going to, to people's houses. So you got to make sure that you are getting that good night's sleep. Otherwise, the uh, the day could be pretty brutal. So come in and see the newest 360, uh, number th- sleep number 360 smart bed. It's not a bed. It's uh, a brighter you for the holidays from 9, 
$999. Sleep Number is the official wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of the 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash Bronx. Find the nearest one close to you. I'm as free as Andy Dufresne was standing in the rain after escaping Shawshank coming out to drain. And these days you ain't holding me back. I'm flowing these raps. The pain it ain't a thing when the music in my brain I maintain. All right, we are back. Uh, we are joined by Brian Stever. Brian, uh, you were at, I first met you at one of our BP crew events last summer. I forget exactly which game you were at. But you were kind of just, uh, we were bullshitting. You were talking about how we had, we had done that 61 movie review. And you said you had your own movie and TV podcast and that we should do a crossover um, episode. So it only took six, seven months, but we finally are doing it. Welcome. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this was your uh, the April one, the first one back in April. Oh, it was certainly the entire baseball season. You know, it's, it's, it's good, though, because during baseball season, doing something like this would be difficult. That's true. That's true. And I'm glad we could get together. Yeah. Like you said, I have take two podcasts is the name of my show. Uh, we're on all your platforms and we deal mainly with Hollywood stuff, your movie reviews and news. Uh, there's a couple of hosts that we rotate on and then we do a lot of comic book stuff. We're the official podcast of the CW network here in Washington, DC. So we have to get into your comic superhero things more often than not, but also just mainly all your movie and TV and especially sports movies. We love getting into them. Nice. But you're a Yankees fan. I am a Yankee fan. I'm the only one out of our crew that is, so I'm going to represent hard today. Where are you from? I actually grew up in Maryland, 15 minutes from Camden Yards, but the family was from New York, wow. brainwashed as a child for Yanks, Knicks, Giants, and Rangers, of course. That was probably top like in the mid-90s, back in 96, which uh, brought back a lot of memories with that Joe Torre one, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, Orioles haven't been very good since then, so it's been probably pretty easy. Tough back then, tough growing up in this area, of course, you know, it's it tough in the skin as you grew up. I remember walking in 1996 to a doubleheader. We came in late to the first game, and as we're walking in, a humongous roar came from the Camden Yards crowd, and we thought, crap, who just, you know, homered? Did Ripken do something? What do we know? As we go in, Jeter had homered, and that was yeah. the first time that we realized that it was truly Yankee Stadium self at Camden Yards, and it has been ever since. I mean, it was even before that, too. I mean, when I was a kid, my... Uh, my stepmother is from, or she lived in the Baltimore area uh, for for a while, and we used to go down there quite often for uh, to Memorial. So I was actually there before Camden Yards quite a bit. I, used to, I went to Memorial uh, quite a few times. Almost caught a Larry Sheets home run in left field, actually. Um, but the, I remember there being just a ton of Yankees fans there too. So I've seen a ton of baseball games, mostly Yankees Orioles games in uh, in in Baltimore. So it's a it's a fun place to watch baseball because it is uh, pretty much a home crowd. This is true. And the yeah. Oriole fans that are there, they're usually reading a book or something anyway. Yeah, you can get you can get behind the third baseline, you know, five, six rows up for like eight bucks. It's great. Very now with no Manny Machado, it's going to be uh, even worse for them. So, yeah, it sucks to be an Oriole. They're giving away kid, uh, kid tickets for free, I believe, at some point. Or they were this year or they are next year. They're I don't gonna... know why all shitty teams don't do that, honestly. Yeah, it's a great way to build a fan base. Or just I, I actually love the idea. I talk, I took my daughter to many games for free this season because of it. Anyone under the age of 10, it was nice. We fibbed and said that she was under 10, but either way. Oh, so they did that all year long? Yeah, all season. Oh, wow. You get upper deck, well, buy your adult ticket upper deck, and you can get the kid one for free, nine and under. Those are, I mean, I agree. It was a beautiful marketing. See, I, any, yeah. Almost all teams should do that just to get more fans in. Your better teams obviously don't need it, but these low-market teams, they should all do it. Right, but even though like the Yankees do some of that stuff midweek because it's some random Wednesday games against the Royals, there's... 20,000 people there and it would they want 40,000 people there so they do $5 tickets or whatever like that. They'll tell you 40,000 people were there. Oh right, it was a sellout once again. 
John, it was a sellout Another for the 42nd one. game in a row. <laughs> Another one. All right, let's get into the A-Rod documentary. It was a 30 for 30. Uh, it came out February of 2014. Does that, did either of you guys have a good like ESPN announcer, what if I told you, voice that you can read the blurb? Can't beat that. That was pretty good. Okay. What if I told you that in the winter of 2003, two cities went after the same man? On one side, New York. On the other, Boston. In the middle, the hired gun, Alex Rodriguez. Does that make you want to puke, Scott? Yeah, it really does. I'm, I'm thinking of Cousin Yuri the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, uh, as far as like a documentary goes, 22 minutes, it was quick. I, I was very interested. It was very engaging. I had seen it when it first came out. I remembered it, and I hadn't seen it since then, but I watched it on Friday afternoon. Um, and it was, it, I thought it was really good. Um, what did you guys think? Scott, you can go first. So, yeah, I mean, it was essentially a, a recap of what went down. It was, it was interesting to hear. I'm glad they, they were able to get all of the, uh, the big-name people who were involved in this whole thing. Like, they talked to Theo. They talked to Cashman. Um, they talked to uh, Theo's assistant. His name is eluding me right now. But they, they had the, the people involved, which I thought was very interesting. Texas GM, with John Hart. Yeah, John Hart was in there. also involved in it. Yep. Absolutely. So I thought the, the fact that they went in and got everybody on camera – um, and you could you could see them talking about it was was pretty cool because you see the different aspects of how they were approaching a situation. Uh, and you really don't find that there's not much. This one, I think, was they were very candid in the way that things went down because it became very public uh, because of the issues with the players union. So I thought that whole aspect was was uh, was interesting. There were some some minor things that I picked up on that ESPN screwed up, I think. Uh, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. I agree. And I think you can feel Theo's pain and Cashman's almost kind of smugness. Like, yeah, it's just this is how it went down. It fell into our lap. And then Theo was just he looked like a couple of times he almost wanted to cry just recalling what happened and how this one got away. Oh, see, I think it's the complete opposite. Really? I think think Theo's like, I dodged a bullet. He did dodge a bullet. like, I can't freaking (laughs) believe that. I thought we won the thing at the time. And look what happened. Because that's really the irony. And, And watching that as a Yankees fan, it sucks. Because Red Sox fans, after it went down, if you talk to Red Sox fans in February of 2004, so spring training, they're friggin' devastated. Yep. They thought they had A-Rod coming in. They thought they had Magli Ordonez coming in. Nomar wasn't going to be on their team anymore. And boom, Yankees get A-Rod? Like, that's another L for them. They just took the loss in 2003, and they get another loss in the offseason. But it didn't work out that way, and that's why as a Yankees fan, I thought it was kind of shitty to watch. Kevin Millar going on TV saying, who do you want? Oh, we, yeah. we want A-Rod. We're on, uh, we don't want Lester and, uh, the, um, and Nomar and whoever the other. So it's uh, – and, and it was Manny too. Manny was the and other Manny. piece of it. Yeah. Manny was going to Texas. Yeah, we're kind of jumping around here. But the proposed deal for the, uh, the Red Sox was that Manny and John Lester was going to – right? And it was yes. John Lester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was going to be going um, to Texas. To te- and they, John- they were, so they were trading Nomar somewhere else too for Brandon McCarthy. So the 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 total return to back to the Red Sox and like subtraction. The subtraction was going to be um, and not directly into this trade, but Nomar was a part of a different trade. Uh, and and uh, Manny Ramirez and John Lester, and then they were going to get back Maglio Ordonez, um, a Rod and Brandon McCarthy. So that would have been the people, right. the, the three that would have come back to the team. Totally changing right. the landscape of what, what everything actually that happened in, in 2004. Yeah. Yep. 
I wanted the trade. I remember it. I want. I was okay with it because at the time, Manny destroyed the Yanks. He always destroyed the Yanks. Yep. And of course, Nomar. We didn't know nothing about Lester yet. He didn't come up until '06, so he was down the road. But hindsight, looking at it, you're like, holy crap, they would have gotten rid of Lester. Yeah. And then, I mean, Maglio was a stud, but he was just another stud along the way. And Arod hadn't proven nothing yet. We didn't even know that he choked in the playoffs yet to that point. Hey, yeah, I mean, A-Rod was the best player in baseball at the time, but when you looked at it from the Yankees' perspective, if he had gone to the Red Sox, but you take away Manny's bat, how much better are the Red Sox? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. When you're talking about having Manny Ramirez, who was just absolutely mashing and destroying, literally one of the greatest right-handed power hitters in, in the game, um, and, and a Yankees killer at that, it really couldn't have been much worse than, than, than Manny Ramirez. Like, and I think that's why Yankees fans were okay, you know, yeah. and they said it in the, even in the documentary, they said it, nothing's worked. So go ahead, go get a rod. That's <laughs> right. We'll right. see if that works. Probably not. And if you're but, talking about, if you're take yourself back to Oh four after Oh three beginning, beginning of Oh four, if you're saying we got to go up against a lineup with Manny and Nomar or a rod and Maglio or Donez, I feel like that's a coin flip. So yeah. I pulled their numbers. I don't know if you guys pulled their Oh three numbers just to compare the, the seasons. No, we, I did not. Let's, let's hear it. Uh, I'll use a outdated stat called batting average. <laughs> uh, let's see. A-Rod and Maglio, they're 298, 47, and 114. 47 homers, 118 RBI. And then Maglio is 317, 29, and 99. No more Manny in comparison, 301, 28, and 105. And then Manny was 325, 37, and 104. I mean, Manny was Manny one of the was best hitters. Yeah, 100%. That, that's that's why, I mean, Maglio, Maglio fell off per, soon after that, maybe? Because he fell off a cliff at some point, and and he, he had a resurgence with the Tigers, though, didn't he? Yeah, he was he was one of those guys that was a, a feared hitter, um, you know, for a long time, and, and with the White Sox, and then I don't know, I I, just, I, I feel like Maglio Ordonez was all of a sudden not really a threat much anymore, and, and to be very honest, it was Manny Ramirez in the in the minds of any Yankee fan already had the you know we knew what he was, we knew how he was a. A guy that could that could hit, and and he did dumb things and all these things, but nothing had worked. So, you know, that's the guy that we we kind of if if there's if you're gonna get rid of one person, get rid of Manny Ramirez from that team, right? And Ortiz went on to be be the clutch fa- face of clutchness for the Red Sox, but it was really Manny who was always doing the dirty work. He was backing up Ortiz in that lineup. Manny won the World Series MVP in 2004. So. I, I don't know how you look at this from a Red Sox fan perspective and say, oh, I wish that we ended up with A-Rod. I don't, I don't think there's one Red Sox fan out there that wishes it went the other way. Not a, not, I agree. Not possible. Go ahead, Scott. No, you're good, Brian. It's all you. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I remember at the time the one thing they were arguing was A-Rod's glove and that they would, you know, versus Manny's glove. Or versus but, Nomar. Because but but that was the thing. You had Nomar's glove, so that was even a wash. Well, so Nomar the hitting was gone. Nomar was essentially gone. They, they knew that. That's right. that was the big deal. So in the minds of everybody, Nomar was already gone. Yeah, he was part of the deal going to Chicago at the time. Yes, and, and yeah, and they they knew that he wasn't going to be there. So that's why they were they were getting rid of him. They were trying to get something for him. Uh, they weren't going to resign him. That was that was you know the they knew in their in their minds, Nomar was no longer there. And they kind of backed themselves into a corner with Nomar because then he was a lame duck because he was in the last year of his contract and he knew that the Red Sox didn't want him anymore. And you remember the whole thing in the first half of that 4 season where Nomar was kind of pouting all the time. And I remember that game that Jeter went flying into the stands. Nomar didn't even start that game. 
And when Jeter was being carried off the field, bleeding from the face, you saw Nomar in the dugout kind of just like shrugging his shoulders and like folding his arms, like pissed off. And Red Sox fans totally turned on Nomar before the trade deadline of 04. What was he pouting about? He was dating Mia Hamm. I think Mia Hamm actually. That's probably what he was pouting about. Yeah. Was she she later? I think Mia Hamm, I don't know. I think, didn't Mia Hamm go into the uh, the media and start chirping off too about, about Nomar? At some point she did. I don't know if it was then. I know she but, was uh, uh, she was adding you know defending him. Yeah, but regardless, uh, to get back on track with the, with the documentary, it starts in that famous line after A Rod's watching the Boone walk off, and he says to himself, "I'm playing for one of these teams next year." That's how that's uh, that's how it all started. You know, it's, credit A Rod. He credit wanted A-Rod to be in the basement. Yeah. Me, 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 me. I need to be on TV in the, in October. I need to be the center of attention, guys. That's the thing. He he has to be in there. He wanted to be in there. He was willing to take less money because he wanted to be in the center of the attention. And everybody knew the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, no matter what side it was, he didn't care. Again, hired gun. He just wanted to be in it so that he could have the attention. And he was willing to take less money because A-Rod probably knew that off the field he could make way more money than he could uh, on the field, You know, at least the difference of what they were going to pay him over the, over the rest of the contract. He made 252, double the Garnett contract. The ESPN went into the whole big thing about the most, um, the highest paid athletes at the time. I, I don't know how Kevin Brown was on that list. I mean, you, you read the names, Alex Rodriguez, Kevin Garnett, Shaquille O'Neal, Ken Griffey Jr., and then Kevin Brown. Like, how is Kevin Brown in that list of five players? He was on the back end of that. Didn't L.A. give him seven LA for gave 105? Him a massive and like contract. Yeah. Yep, yep. He, they gave him a massive contract, and the Yankees ended up having to take on the rest of it in 04 because they were desperate for pitching. Yeah. Got him, him starting game seven of the 04. Brian, are you an A-Rod guy? Are you an A-Rod fan? Nope. I never was. I tried okay. so hard to get behind it, but I could never do it. Uh, and neither is Scott. I'm I'm sort of more uh, in the middle on A-Rod where I, I realize his ridiculousness um, mm. and – I've grown to like A-Rod a little bit more post-2013 suspension once he came back. But yeah, I mean, you, you still hear about all this stuff with A-Rod. But at the time, at least the way this documentary put it, he was the good guy. He was the guy sacrificing his salary on the field to get on a winning team. Because I think um, they didn't actually say he had $179 million left on the contract. The documentary didn't actually say what the new deal was going to be, but he was walking away from big money. For the Boston one you're talking about. They talked about how much money the Yankees took on, yeah, but they didn't talk about it. Well, the Yankees, right, but he still got paid the same amount because the players' union wouldn't approve it otherwise. So Texas ended up paying a portion of the deal, but he was going to uh, give up money for the Boston uh, contract to work out, which gets me to believe, leads me to believe uh, why, I guess. I was asking why what, didn't the Rangers agree to take on the same amount of money if he was going to go to Boston, but it's because they were taking the Manny deal. Right. Well, yeah, there was a lot of money still on the table for them to, br- to bring on, too. One of the incentives, like they, the reason that the deal didn't get made was obviously because taking less money is not something, not a precedent that, that, uh, that Fire wanted to, to start. I mean, the, the, the Players Union at that point, and still is, one of, one of the, if not the strongest, it is the strongest in baseball, but it's a very strong union. They don't want to set a precedent for someone taking less money because that, that has a trickle-down effect. The, the, the thing that I thought was crazy, that they thought the value add back to A-Rod was to give him his likeness. Like, to <laughs> me, yeah, I mean, don't, 
I I, I thought players <laughs> he could sell T-shirts their, with his uh, with, with his, his face pouty on lips on it. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, exactly. He could <laughs> kiss his he, blue lips. I just want to kiss myself in the mirror. Can I do that? I just need the likeness so I can. <laughs> he wanted. Kiss. I need he to wanted make the out in the mirror with myself. Yeah, he wanted the centaur picture. Yeah, see, this is why so I, I never down. tried with him. Where would he get the dollars from? Like, I mean, putting it today, like, would that be for Judge? Every one of those foam gavels that sells, would he get a percentage? Is that what he wanted? Something to that effect? I think so. The likeness, so that if they were going to sell his name in any way in any marketing material, he would be getting whatever that cut is for the likeness of being on there. And honestly, I thought that that was part of the players' union. I thought the the MLB um, Players Association currently has a deal like that in place. Maybe it's more more blanketed and, and it's it's more of a broad strokes and not as specific with every single thing that the team does. Um, but on the MLB level, I know they have but, the uh, the ability to to do things. They just probably don't control it as much. But, uh, so what does that mean, though? Because it's, you're not talking about jersey sales because jersey sales belong they get a portion. to the, the players get a portion of jersey sales. Yeah, there, there's a there's a cut that's that's made. Absolutely. But that's not what he was talking about. No, he's talking, he about, talking specifically about his likeness. likeness. So if if the Red Sox ownership wanted to put up some friggin' billboard with A-Rod's mug on it, he they couldn't do that unless he got a cut or whatever. Maybe I, it, it very well could have had it very well could have had to do with like the fact that his likeness with the uniform on too. Because think about like all the games. A lot of them for a long time, if you were in a video game, you had a blank hat on. Or like now they're doing it with the um, the players' hats and gear on there, but a lot of the licensing wasn't done uh, back at that point. And you know, I don't know if that's it. I, I'm speculating at this point, but there could have been some contingencies on on the likeness. There's obviously at that point was a contingency on how much they they get for uh, things that they're a part of. I I think that's changed now though. I'm gonna have to look that up. Right, and um, but the players' union, like you said, I forget which one of you said it, but didn't want to set the precedent of somebody giving up dollars that they signed for because that's going to be bad for the rest of the players. And I and I totally understand that. So that's why the deal didn't go through. But I loved how the documentary sort of went into the off-field rivalry of the two teams, the arms race. And you remember the back and forth that offseason with Kurt Schilling and Jose Contreras? The Yankees getting Contreras and the Red Sox getting Kurt Schilling? Yeah, Yanks were down there on Thanksgiving Day, and that's how they swung him, right? Well, the, no, it was the Red Sox. Or went Sox were there Kurt Thanksgiving? Sh- Red Sox went to Kurt Schilling's house on Thanksgiving Day. That's right. And Theo, the I I, I, rem- I forget where I heard this, but Theo would not leave until Schilling agreed to go to the Red Sox. I remember that whole thing playing out, too. It was a big deal, um, and as Schilling especially was a big deal because he had killed the Yankees in 2001 coming out there and um, and, and pitching against them. So there was there's, all, there's also a, a bit of a, a heated rivalry on the field with Schilling and the Yankees already. So you add fuel to the fire by putting a Red Sox uniform on him. Um, you know, that's a, that's a difference maker. Plus Schilling, one of the best postseason pitchers. So that was a huge deal. And the fact that Contreras really did not work out at all, uh, was, mm-hmm. was a big swing. Maybe not as big of a Nathan of swing, but a pretty big swing. So underrated <laughs> about the 2000, <laughs> about the 2000, uh, that's going back to what we were just talking about on the episode. But so that Oh four, Oh three, Oh four off season, Yankees lose Pettit and Clemens to Houston. And they were in on Kurt Schilling. That didn't work out. They bring in A-Rod. That's obviously an upgrade over Aaron Boone at third base. But they don't really do anything for the starting rotation. They didn't bring in John Lieber. Like, was he their big offseason free agent uh, Mm -hmm. pitching acquisition? Like, that's bad on Brian Cashman for leaving a pitching staff in shambles. 
the Pettit, that was the one time that giving someone the hat as a gift worked. Remember, didn't he open an Astros hat Christmas morning from his kids? And that's what made him choose that, as opposed to like having your brother put I on a Yankee hat at a wedding Yankees, reception. Well, the Yankees were worried about his MRI on his elbow, and they only wanted to sign him for two years or three. It was one less year than Houston was offering. Yeah, but yeah, his, oh, his buddy yeah. was there too. But his was buddy like, was yeah. going to his. So Clemens owed him another shipment, and he didn't <laughs> want it. It was the postage from Houston. So he just figured, well, no, all right, I'll go to you, Houston. I'll you, follow. If you send I'll it through the, the post trail. office, sending it through the post office right. is a little sketchy. Who else was going to inject him in the ass? Right. There was. There were a lot of implications with this. Pudge, you know, had in, or some involvement. The there was <laughs> the Cashman obviously didn't do a very good job with uh, with with what happened. And as far as their pitching staff, losing Schilling, I think was a big deal. The bottom line is that Contreras didn't really work out to what they expected him to be. Obviously, it was just a um, a guy that they they. He was supposed to be this big ace coming over, this big Cuban ace savior, and it didn't work out. And that was the big failure. It was really the fact that the player didn't work out for them. Because if he was a different guy, if if Contreras came over here and was a you know a, a difference making ace, what they everybody thought that he was going to be, you know, probably a different story. I'm sorry if you guys can hear me pouring another glass of scotch. All this talk of 04 is getting me a little emotional over here. No, you should you should be drinking. <laughs> I usually just stick to beer when we're doing the podcast. Scotch can get away from you, and, and who knows what you're liable to say. But That's valid. Uh, so mid-January, Boone shreds his knee playing basketball. Uh, Cashman and A-Rod have a nice powwow at the writer's dinner and talking about him playing third base. And then the trade with Texas happens. I loved this portion of it. I forgot about this. Alfonso Soriano and then the Rangers had a choice between uh, Joaquin Arias or Robinson Cano, and they picked Arias. Can you imagine if they had taken Cano and Soriano from the Yankees for friggin' A-Rod? That's a big, that's a big swing right there as far as not getting Cano. Uh, that's, that's a huge deal. The, they, really, they, were, they hit the, the nail on the head when they were looking at the Red Sox starter or prospect and going after Lester. So scouting worked with the pitching, not so much with the uh, player position uh, on that side because Cano is – I mean, everybody knows, obviously. You kind of forget how close Cano came after Soriano because Soriano leaves after 03. They had 04 with Tony Womack. Or no, 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 sorry. Um, God, Miguel Cairo, 04. Mm. And then Tony Womack started the season in 05, but Cano comes up mid-season 2005. So it was a year and a half between Soriano and Cano. I feel like that goes under the radar. If that happened and we never had Cano, maybe the town of Seattle would like you now. That's true. The the thing with Cano too is that like yeah it was it was pretty quick after but I think all, it, it, the blurred lines with Soriano come uh, because he also came back to the Yankees so I feel like there is a blurred line with with his tenure you know when you look back and think about Soriano. Um, I remember when the quick. deal happened. Soriano was one of my favorite Yankees at the time, and I remember when the deal happened. I was like, I know A Rod's one of the best players in baseball, but why did they just give up a young second baseman who can hit thirty home runs a year? I, I it just it confused me as a 15-year-old at the time. I was had a they not done a guy, too. Yeah, well, then you call up Cano, and then you put Soriano on left field, like, anyway. And then you, it would have that money would have trickled down down the road where we never would have signed Ellsbury. 
That's a 10-year trickle. <laughs> I like There's how you so connected many, the dots there. are so there. many trickles with this. 10 years <laughs> later, we're not, we're not sitting here with Ellsbury just eating up cash on the, on the plate. On the no, plate. but we're, we're dealing with another uh, steroid guy in Cano on, on the Yankees. And That's true. With all that. so, That's true. I mean, there are so many. The, 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 the amount of implications and, and waterfall things that happened after this trade or the fact that the, uh, the Red Sox trade didn't happen, there are so many things that changed the course of history all because of Alex Rodriguez. What a what a guy. So what level of douche chills did you get when the reporter for ESPN goes, is this good for the game? And A-Rod goes, I think it's good for the Yankees and smiles. I liked it. I actually, that's probably one of the only things I liked with him. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, like, the, I, I appreciated his tie on that day. I remember thinking that when we got him. I'm like, wow. That's a that's a that's a great tie. He's always um, looking sharp. You remember yeah. that part of the documentary? They walk into the hotel room at midnight, and he's, yeah, he's was, sitting there in like a friggin' tuxedo, ready for the Red Sox meeting. It's not it's it's not Dumb and Dumber. He's not wearing a tuxedo. He's, he's not, wearing he, a powder not, blue tuxedo. He's not overdressed. A Rod is is <laughs> dressed, you know, appropriately. Give him credit for that. I will he give I will give him credit a, for nice, dressing appropriately. Uh, he was a, he's sitting there with a martini. He A Rod. <laughs> thinks he's James Bond, I think. Oh, no, probably. He might be James Bond. Maybe this is all a big fleecing. I mean, he did get uh, J-Lo. The fact is, is that A-Rod has a very, very yeah, I don't big think part. I'm going to let that J-Lo comment slide. She's, she's about as good as it gets. Yeah, she pretty much, for A-Rod especially, definitely. No, for anybody. Shut up. I mean, You take her over Kate Hudson? Oh, my oh God, God yes. yes. It's not even a question. I know Kate Hudson helped win the Yankees a World Series in 2009, but... See, I think that was part of A-Rod's jealousy of Jeter, too. Like, Jeter never, he, he knew what to do. A-Rod married early, had kids early, and then he saw Jeter just living it up. And that was part of it. He's like, I want to be part of that. Not only the baseball, but Jeter's nightlife. We we did a whole episode on this like a year ago, the whole dynamic between, between Jeter and A-Rod. A-Rod was always the better player, and he, everyone said, you're the better player, but everyone loved Jeter, and he just could not friggin' figure out why. And that messed with his head. He became a jealous, crazy person, and he turned into the monster that he was from 2004 to 2012 because he was always jealous living in Derek Jeter's shadow in, uh, at, in the Bronx, in, in New York. He couldn't figure it out. Jealousy was definitely a big part of it, and, and I think he, he just didn't know why it was the case. He didn't know why Derek was the guy that everybody loved, and he just wasn't on that level off the field. They, he didn't get that. And you're right. I think he tried to overextend himself and do different things that would, uh, you know, he took roads. Down, he took he went down roads that a, a lot of people probably wouldn't have gone down. And a lot of it was mainly because of the jealousy and because he wanted to be the spotlight and he didn't want anybody else to be the spotlight more because he didn't want anybody else to be the spotlight, I think. Um, and that led him down bad paths, even though the man had unbelievable natural talent and could have done all of these things without any. Uh, assistance from uh, you know from any kind of substance or a needle or whatever, he screwed it up himself, and I do think a lot of it was stemmed on his immaturity and uh, and jealousy. I actually believe him that he didn't start the juicing until he signed the big deal. See, I, I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time believing yeah. any of these guys have, on their timeline on when things started. That's I mean he's lied so many times. I got I don't believe anything he says at this point, honestly. So yeah. you think, uh, Brian, because the whole narrative behind that was that he felt like he needed to live up to the $250 million contract. So you figure that's why he started? I, I mean, it, I can see his reasoning. Yeah. And it, as he was saying it, it was making sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's, a, that's a flawed logic because what got you to that contract is everything uh, before that. And if, if, if that's 
accurate. Well, you got to that contract. You were extended that contract because of all of the things that you did while not on steroids, if that's true. So true. to me, when you're thinking about that, it's like, eh. Didn't he say he only did it for the three years in Texas? That was the original. I remember yeah, the, the Peter Gammons interview like in 2009. He said he only did it from 01 to 03. Too many lives and, to, to, to. And then obviously that wasn't true because he got popped again when he was with the Yankees. Yeah. So Yeah, because Giambi has some lying around. He was like, wait a second. Right, right. So no, I don't, I don't believe any of these guys what they're saying. Yeah. And I also don't care because – I understand it was like rampant in the game and whoever was doing what, who the hell really knows? All I know is baseball was more exciting in 1999 than it was in 2018. I will agree with you earlier when you were saying that you enjoy him more, Scott, now post Yankee, post his oh. career. I like that was, him. That was certainly Andrew. That, it wasn't me. I oh, was I, I sorry. I could promise you that. Would you take him as our hitting coach right now? Oh God, no. I want him as no? far away from the Yankees organization as possible. If it's my choice, I, I, I don't, I, I think he's a he's like a sh, uh, just a fraud. I I'm a I'm a very big A Rod hater. <laughs> I I never really tried to like him because I just I didn't like him uh, the way he came off for whatever reason. I just I never liked the guy. And the posts like I understand like his his as, as Andrew called it the eroticence when he started hitting and people started <laughs> liking him again because he was hitting and that was the only reason really people were liking him and he was shutting his mouth kind of. And then he started talking a little bit more and started getting, oh, I can talk now. People like me, so I can start talking again. Then he started putting his foot in his mouth. Now he's on TV saying canned lines, reading from the, the um, Ron Burgundy teleprompter. It's like, I, I just, I can't take him seriously. That's, that's now what he's I got his it. own podcast. He's a competitor. Yeah, that, that, that podcast bumped, is probably a better, a better thing for him, honestly, because at least it's a little bit more candid. I haven't listened to it yet, but um, yeah. I, I, they just I think bumped it to 2019, I think. Oh, uh, no, I thought it came out. Did they? Okay. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, the whole thing with A-Rod is uh, I, w- I would like him to be the hitting coach just for the podcast material. I'm just like <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> I don't think it would be good for the actual on-field product, but but hey. Um, any final thoughts, Brian, on this documentary? I actually, it's one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I missed it when it first came out because I kind of boycotted him for a while after the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks one. I, I didn't want to touch anything. I was grossed out after that guy. Um, but so then when I went back, I guess a year I missed it and went back. I was like, wow, I'm mad that I missed it because I thought it was great. And just reliving everything we just said, like, wow, could you imagine had this actually happened? All the trickle down effects that would have gone through. And as a hindsight Yankee fan thinking, God, I really wish that this had happened. Yeah. Scott, any uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, again, I just thought it was super interesting getting the back end of of how the whole deal you know transpired with uh, with the negotiations and and with A Rod being involved, like very much involved, and, and only um, calling out these two teams for places that he wanted to go. So I, I thought the whole thing was was very interesting. Um, it's just a shame, it's just a damn shame how it worked out. <laughs> there's a couple other third. I like the, the thirty for thirty series. I think it's great. Um, there's a couple other ones related to the Yankees. There was one on uh, Steinbrenner uh, shortly after he died. I think they did one called The Boss, and then they did one on uh, the first pitch, which is uh, about um, uh, Bush throwing out the first pitch in the two thousand one World Series. So, so maybe we will uh, visit some of those uh, down the line. But. Um, Brian, thanks for joining on uh, this portion. And um, everyone, hope you enjoyed it. Go watch the A-Rod 30 for 30 if you haven't. Uh, if not, I think you can just listen to this and um, hear about all the different alternate timelines that may have happened. The Yankees didn't get it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. 
Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.